Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. My dear cardio nerds, this is Amit Coyle. With tremendous pride and privilege, we are honored to bring to you the 2022 inaugural Sanjay Vidasaya Lecture, a named annual medical education lecture series to celebrate the graduation of one academy class and the beginning of another, created to honor our greatest mentor, Dr. Sanjay V. Desai. We begin with a history lesson and describe how the Cardinerds Academy, the very crown jewel of our platform, was created to push the boundaries of digital education. Then we describe just who Dr. Desai is and what he means for us Cardinerds. The very reason that his voice begins every episode to date. From there, we dive into an extraordinary discussion about the growth mindset with honorary speakers, Drs. Kerry Schaefer and David Hirsch, moderated by Academy Program Director Dr. Tommy Das and Director of MedEd Research Dr. Samanya Matulahi, complete with illustrative skits by Academy Chiefs Drs. Theodora Donison, Patrick Zaka, Jesse Holtzman, and Ahmed Ghanim. We hope you enjoy this very special discussion in honor of our dear mentor and inspiration, Dr. Sanjay Desai. To our Academy fellows and interns, this one's for you. Before we get there, we definitely have to take a few minutes and just step back and reflect on how we got to where we are. And it just really all begins with the inception of Cardinerds, where we started talking about it. Ahmed and I got on the phone call after several conversations and even meeting in person. But really in September 2019, we got busy and serious with launching this thing and started talking to each other about how we're going to do that. And our first episode released in December 2019. And right away, you know, with the help of several collaborators, we knew that people really, really were interested in this and we knew this was going to be big. So we saw this community growing and it became a very special community. And particularly as we looked outwards from our home institutions to involve others who were just as passionate about the mission to democratize cardiovascular education, we realized that this is going to become a big staple in medicine and medical education. And so in February 2020, just as COVID started trickling in in the media, we knew something terrible was on its way. I remember this day like yesterday, I get one of these amazing WhatsApp chats from Amit and it says, call me. And whenever he writes, just call me. I know we're about to hear an amazing idea. And then we're going to be brainstorming for the next couple of hours about it. So he gives me a call and he says, Dan, Cardinerds Fellowship. I said, what is that? And we started talking about what now has become the Academy. We knew that this would be our future direction and it would take the podcast and turn it into something so much more. So we set to work. We knew that we had to learn everything about this space, which is limited because it's kind of novel. And we started meeting with everyone to share insights with us. We met with the clinical problem solvers, curbsiders, our friends at Nephrology, Social Media Collective, Justin Burke Green Hamo, who was working with us at the time, and Heather Kagan, who ended up spearheading the initial application process. We basically just asked and asked and asked. And we went to people at Cleveland Clinic and at Hopkins, people that we worked with and just getting advice and ideas of how we can execute this successfully. And at the time we knew that we had an amazing cadre of incredibly talented people. We had already been working with Karin Desai, Eunice Dugan, Tommy Das, Evelyn Song, Rick Ferraro, and Colin Blumenthal. And they had been a big part of the CNCR series, which was a way to discuss cases across America, but also interact with programs across America. We knew that this group had so much more to offer in terms of camaraderie, leadership, and medical education. And so we put out a call and you all answered. 
and we asked you to apply to the academy and you so did. And then we reviewed your applications and met with you and we knew we were on the right track to this great, great thing, which ended up becoming Cardio Nerds Academy. We also knew that we had a real responsibility. You guys are all so gifted and talented and also so busy with your time, which is one of our most precious commodities. And we did not want to waste that. And so we wanted to give you that experience that you were looking for. And then several weeks later, I get another one of these quote unquote, call me texts from WhatsApp. And Amit completely had like spent the entire night designing what turned out to be the first draft of the curriculum. And again, it's not just about like titles of the curriculum. He had already invented details of what each aspect of the curriculum would be, the concept of DEPs and so on and so forth. And so, you know, we officially founded the Cardinals Academy in 2021, which to democratize cardiovascular education, to create digital content, and with this overarching mission of marrying content creation with professional and personal development. And so fast forward, here we are today. We are family, we're blood. Despite many of us who have never met each other in person, we have created an amazing community that not only reaches inwards to the academy, but actually shines a light outwards to the entire medical education space and particularly in the field of cardiology. So as we leap into our second academy year, wow, you know, we are looking at something completely unimaginable. And this is just great. So you should all be incredibly proud of yourselves. With that, I'll turn it over to my more eloquent partner, Ahmed Goyle. I don't know what you're talking about, Dan. That was uh, very eloquent. And I feel like the luckiest person in the world that I get to work with you so closely. You know, this is a, a great whirlwind tour about how much the Academy means to every single one of us. And so, you know, we thought we needed something really special to celebrate the graduation of the 2021 class and, and the invitation, the welcome to the 2022 class. So we thought we'd begin with this keynote talk, the celebration. And we're honored to bring to you the inaugural Sanjay Vitasai lecture. We're so lucky to be learning from Dr. David Hirsch and Dr. Kerry Schaefer about growth mindset. And so for many of us, the decision to name this annual talk after Sanjay is obvious. But for the rest, it is my absolute pleasure to tell you all about Cardinard's greatest mentor, Dr. Sanjay Desai. Sanjay is a Myron Weisfeld professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins University. He was a program director for the Osler Medical Residency Training Program, which is how many of us got to know him. He is now the Chief Academic Officer at the AMA and the Vice Chair for Education in the Department of Medicine at Johns Hopkins. Sanjay graduated summa cum laude from the University of Pennsylvania with a Bachelor of Science in Bioengineering and earned a Bachelor of Economics from the Wharton School of Business and Healthcare Management. He then earned his medical degree from Harvard University and completed medical residency in pulmonary critical care medicine training at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. Despite leaving mid-residency for a stint consulting for McKinsey while traveling the world, his passion for education and knack for leadership were so apparent that he was invited to serve as the assistant chief of service for the residency program. Sanjay is also a devoted husband and a loving father to two amazing twin boys. You know, just thinking about reflecting on this intro, Sanjay has had many roles and is a lot of things to many people. I think what ties it all together is leadership. Sanjay is simply an exemplary leader. But what does greatness mean when it comes to leadership? What would be the scale by which we measure a truly effective leader? I suppose you might say that by definition, leaders have followers. And so you could imagine that maybe one scale or one metric would be the number of followers, but that doesn't seem right, does it? We can all imagine how a president of a high school key club might be a better leader than a CEO of a company. I think in my mind, the greatest leaders elevate everyone around them and empower others to become leaders themselves. And by that measure, Sanjay defines greatness. Now, I know what Dr. Schaefer and Dr. Hirsch are thinking right now is that that description of someone certainly isn't consistent with the growth mindset. It's more of a fixed mindset thing to say. 
<laughs> let me give you a personal anecdote that'll um, show why why I think that really is the case. You know, when Sanjay had invited me to serve as ACS or chief resident, my inclination was to decline. And my wife knows this very well. I, I decided that I wouldn't do it. And, and that was mostly out of my own imposterism. I felt it in my heart that it was just too great a responsibility for someone like me. When I voiced that sitting in his office in front of Willie Mosler's original desk, Sanjay immediately stood up, surprised me with a tight hug and said, you know, that's exactly why I think that you do a great job. He's given me the license to become who I am today. And, and as you'll get to see, he's the reason why Cardiotrins exists. I, one of my favorite stories about Sanjay came from Dan when we were uh, getting together and just reflecting on Cardi Nerds. And Dan told me a, a story that also is very quintessential Sanjay. Dan, if you want to share. So, you know, I've been, you know, coming into intern year, I was a little bit nervous coming to the Johns Hopkins Hospital. You know, there's a, there's a formality to it. There's, uh, and, and I've learned that there's an, a, a completely other side besides for that. But I was definitely nervous and you know, we were in the Barker firm on the, on the Oslo residency and things looked like it was going to be a little bit formal. So for like the first day, I kind of controlled myself and kind of shut in my personality. But right after that, it kind of came out. And so I'd be answering phone calls from, you know, nursing, patients, consultants in the usual manner that I would. And I still do today. And we had a good time taking care of patients. So fast forward a couple months later, and I get the feedback form from all the people that have been giving me feedback, some, a lot of positive things, you know, clinical care and stuff like that. But there was a few lines from some of the senior residents who were saying, yes, while we do enjoy this uh, personality and we, we find it very entertaining and uplifting to the team and et cetera, there may be some consultants that may not appreciate that as much. And we're not sure, maybe potentially he should tone it down somewhat in the workplace. And so I was immediately stricken with grief. I thought I'd be fired. And I start walking into Sanjay's office for this feedback session where I thought he was going to basically let me go. So I get there and I'm sitting right in front of the same Sir William Osler desk. And Sanjay basically looks at all the positive feedback, reflects on that, you know, thanks me for being in the program, saying that I'm an asset to the program. And I'm thinking that this is going to be a hamburger kind of feedback situation where we're talking about the bun and at the burger, it's going to be the tough stuff. And maybe he'll finish off with a nice bun. And that never happens. So he's, we're done with the meeting. And I say, well, Sanjay, what do you think about this negative feedback? And he takes the, the printouts that he had in his hand. He basically just tore it up and he said, disregard completely. We really appreciate the way that you conduct yourself. This really enhances the patient experience, your co-fellows and co-interns. And it most certainly enhances the experience of anybody that works with you in the hospitals, including consultants. Maybe just take it as a lesson to recognize when you walk into a room, know who you're dealing with, gauge the mindset, gauge the people, but nothing more than that. And we really like loved having you here. And again, as Ahmed said, that, that gave me the license to move forward in a very professional but fun way. And I, I think back to that moment, whenever I enter a new space, you know, gauge the room, but then be myself. And it helps me until today. Like I said, Sanjay elevates everyone around him. And the lessons we've learned from Sanjay in many very real ways made Cardiners possible. Some people have said Cardiners are on a rocket. And, and I, I would very much say that if Cardiners is a rocket, then Sanjay's office was our Cape Canaveral. Sanjay's spirit is baked into the very DNA of Cardiners and is in every fiber of the fabric that creates our mission. The Cardiners Academy is built around the ethos of creating great leaders in digital education, taking from Sanjay's own chapter book. So as all of you can see, there is a reason why every single episode on Cardiners begins with this voice. Sanjay, you're an extraordinary clinician, a gifted educator, an omnipresent mentor, a leader to leaders, and the greatest friend we could ask for. Thank you for being you and thank you for everything that we've become.
that, that, that there is nothing I can say in response to this. I wish my wife was here to hear all of this. That's one comment I would have. I don't want to take any time from Dr. Hirsch and Dr. Schaefer. So I, I am just so incredibly humbled. And I think no one is deserving, I think, for all of the accolades that you guys have said. And I, I just feel so proud that we are all here today. And I'm not surprised knowing Amit and Dan and everybody else that has contributed. And I think it's an example of how, you know, ultimately the the mentor will always learn from the mentees. And I think this is a, a wonderful demonstration of that. So I just want to thank you. You have all of my gratitude, all of my pride, and I am so inspired. So thank you all so, so much. Thank you so much, Sanjay. And we're excited to uh, announce another endeavor that was uh, very much inspired by, by your lessons for us. And that's going to be the Cardinal Scholarships. They're really built to support projects which satisfy our mission to democratize cardiovascular education by providing three levels of support, that's mentorship and creating a mentor committee around our scholars, sponsorship in using the Cardinal Enterprise to give their work visibility and funding as well. And with that, I will turn to Tommy to get on with the inaugural Sanjay Vidasai Lecture. I am just so excited to be part of this presentation here today and so excited to be part of this group. Today, we're going to honor Sanjay and his contribution to the Cardinerates with a really exciting talk about the growth mindset from Dr. Schaefer and Dr. Hirsch. I want to first introduce my co-host for this talk here, who is Saman, who's actually joining us here from Arizona. And I'm so excited to welcome him back to the Cardinerates podcast. A little bit about Salman. He completed his internal medicine residency at Columbia University and then came to Hopkins where he was an infectious disease fellow as well as a, he completed his master's of education in the health professions. And during his time at Hopkins, I had a chance to work with him and to see how passionate he was for education, especially in the digital space, working on how do we use these tools to really build something exciting, build something new and build something useful for our learners. All that work carried him into a role as a uh, assistant professor in medicine at University of Arizona. And he serves a number of uh, leadership roles at IDSA as well. And Within the Cardinals, we're incredibly privileged to have him as the director of research within the Cardinals Academy. So, Simon, thank you so much for being here today and for joining in the conversation. Hi, everyone. And thank you, Tommy, for such a kind introduction. It's really, it's, I'm just so happy to be here. When Ahmed and Dan first invited me to come and uh, join the group, I was just so ecstatic. I just, you know, to work with such a great group of learners and train and just everyone, just just how passionate they are, just not only about cardiovascular education, but just trying to democratize all of education globally. It's just, just amazing to see. Really happy to be part of this group and really excited to be here as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alan. It's now my honor to introduce Dr. Schaefer. So Dr. Schaefer is an adult congenital heart disease specialist at Boston Children's Hospital, as well as an assistant professor of pediatrics within Harvard Medical School. She completed her internal medicine residency at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, completing cardiology fellowship at UT Southwestern, and then adult congenital and pulmonary hypertension subspecialty training at Boston Children's in the Brigham Women's Hospital. Not only is Dr. Schaefer a fierce advocate for her patients, but she's also heavily involved in medical education not only at her own institution, but also on the national level as well, very involved with ACC. And let everyone in on a little secret, Dr. Schaefer was a key advisor for the cardiologists during the Trinity versus traditional debate that the ACC hosted last year. It was truly the secret weapon that I, in my opinion, pushed them over the top, but it was really a fantastic session. All of the cardiologists are lucky to have her as a mentor and advisor. So Dr. Schaefer, thank you so much for being here. Welcome back. Thank you so much. You have such a wonderful program and I'm just honestly so honored to even be part of it in any small way. So this is just such a treat for me to be particularly part of all of this with you all today. Uh, so thank you once again. I really appreciate it. And nice to meet you virtually, Dr. Desai. So I would like to introduce Dr. Hirsch. 
So Dr. David Hirsch is an associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and the director of the HMS Academy Fellowship in Medical Education and associate dean of undergraduate medical education here at Harvard Medical School. One of the things he's probably best known for is being the co-founder of Harvard's Longitudinal Integrated Clerkship, which he's written extensively about and has really changed the face of how we think about clerkships here at Harvard Medical School. The other thing that many of us know Dr. Hirsch for is his beautiful modeling of compassionate care and education. And I think he's really instrumental in helping our educational teams and faculty incorporate the growth mindset in a meaningful really in an an effective way. I think the thing that I always take away from Dr. Hirsch's lectures is tools that I actually feel like I can use to go out and change the way that I teach and to make sure that I'm teaching in a way that's most effective, really with, with an underlying background of the growth mindset. Thank you so much, Dr. Hirsch. Oh my goodness. No, no, thank you. And Dr. Schaefer, I would say right back at you. And Huge congratulations, Dr. Desai, and all the graduates and, and the whole team that created this uh, special environment. I, I am um, usually fired up about life in general and even more so on a day like this. So yeah, thanks for having me and I, I can't wait to get it on with you guys. So as we start to dive in, I think it would be really helpful to first try to establish the concept of the mindset theory and the goal orientation. So Dr. Hirsch, would you please define for us the growth mindset versus fixed mindset and how's one's mindset impacts their goal orientation. Okay, perfect. Yes. So I'll, I'll start by taking us back to the 1970s. And I, my hair in the picture here is probably more like I had in the 1970s than I have now. But the, the story is important to begin there because back in the 1970s, there was a lot of thinking about what was called learned helplessness in children. And when they thought about these school-age children, this whole model of learned helplessness actually came out of animal modeling. And there wasn't a lot of empirically derived studies to understand how children think about learning in that time. So I think the first key, before I'll tell you the original story, or I guess one of the original stories of Carol Dweck's research program, which has taken us for about four decades now of just true brilliance, is to just maybe uh, quote her herself. I want to just pause and say it's, it's important to get this in the simplest terms. The growth mindset is often, it's been quite popularized and it's often misunderstood and misused. And Using it correctly, I think, offers great potential and benefit to us all. And misusing it, I think, leads us into all sorts of controversy and pop culture stuff that I think maybe is best avoided. So just simply, there's a quote attributed to Professor Carol Dweck herself that goes like this. It's that a growth mindset is about believing people can develop their abilities. It's that simple. That's how she says it. People can develop their abilities. And you might think that's preposterously easy. Why do we need 40 years of social psychology to, to help us understand that? So I'll take you back to the beginning and show you from from where that simplicity comes. In the 1970s, this learned helplessness model left us with an idea that individuals were unaware of their own ability to confer improvement based on feedback. So the ideas back then were like, if you could just train people to know their strengths and train them to know their weaknesses, and then give them feedback about strengths and weaknesses, that will be enough. It turns out that's actually not enough. Because what Dweck was able to discover over all of these years is there's a proclivity for us to have an understanding of our own education, of our own learning and growth that we're not even usually sure we're having. And that proclivity matters, it turns out. So this is where the growth mindset comes from. It comes from an unconscious, unaware uh, framing that we hold towards education. Uh, So I will get into the specifics here just for one quick second with a story about the classrooms in 1978. So they were amazing empiricists, Dweck and her colleagues and PhD students. And they looked at this classroom of fourth and fifth graders. And it was about, about 80 students, I think it was. 
And they were observing both what they refer to as boys and girls. I understand it's not gender inclusive language, but I'm just going to use the language for the moment to characterize how the research itself is explicated. They were looking at boys and girls as the terms they used. And Professor Dweck herself and her teammates were troubled by something they saw that involved the, quote, girls, which was the girls were actually having more success and receiving more praise for their success. You might say appropriately so. They gave the children problems they could not solve. And what happened was this. Those they perceived as girls were in a situation where they were like, oh, I can't do this. I'm so stupid. I was never good at math. This kind of very self-defeating, just sort of quitting behavior. And this is from the part of the class that was actually, at the time, apparently more able, doing better, and getting more praise for it. The boys, who might be better characterized as being like a pack of squirrels in a bag, right? And they're kind of running around. If, if they could just sit in the chair for a few minutes, it was a great day, right? They, in contrast, when also faced with problems they could not solve, hung in there with an attitude that was more akin to, hmm, like, what's the trick here? I don't, I don't see. What, where's this going? I haven't solved this yet. So they hung in. This should trouble us. It troubled the researchers. And they, a great empiricists that they were, they observed and observed and observed. And over time, they realized there was something that was being done apparently by teachers. There was a girl-type feedback they were observing. And it was like this. The feedback to the girls was often grand and nonspecific, excellent, outstanding, you know, beautiful work, such that who the person was and what the person was doing were kind of merged in that feedback. When you say, great, it's, is that about me or the work? It was blended. That's one thing. And the second thing is it was nonspecific. It wasn't, I observed the way that Dave is characterizing Dweck by taking us back in history, what I'm actually trying to do, right? You're going to say, cool, the way Dave is speaking right now. I'm not sure that you see it that way. But if you were, you can see how that's nonspecific. So they did was, <laughs> they did something kind of simple. They crossed over the teacher behavior. So teachers started to give the, quote, girl feedback, girl type feedback to the boys. And lo and behold, after a period of time of the teachers doing it, giving the feedback accurately, of course, accurate to the level of the learners, what happened was when they gave the children problems they could not solve again, the boys would quit saying, I'm not good at this. I can't do this. I've never been good at this. And those who were girls hung in and kept going. So this is what launched a literature for 30-something or nearly 40 now years to follow. They tried to understand what it was. And the, sh the short reveal, after all this rambling, is really just this. We can become aware, but typically unaware to us is our view about how we understand our potential for growth in any specific domain. So let me give one last example before I stop this. If you were to ask me, perhaps, so, so Dave, do you think you could learn, I don't know, Mandarin Chinese? I might answer, poof, I wish, although I'm not really good at language, as if somehow my language ability is a fixed thing, an entity, something about me, structurally, like I'm just not a good language person. Dave, do you think you could slow down your speaking or be a little less animated? I might say, I guess if I watched enough videotapes and I practiced long enough, or if you said, Dave, could you run you know, a half marathon? I guess if I trained well enough. Something about my thinking about my speaking style or my running ability, I have this perception I might be able to get there if I just worked at it. So where does it come from that I, I hold these views? What about all the views I don't even know I'm holding? This is in essence what the literature on growth mindset and fixed mindset is about. And then specifically, the growth approach is that it's people who, whether they know it or not, will continue to work through, work forward, be resilient in achievement, even in the face of problems they cannot solve, even in the face of difficulty, they'll exert more effort, they'll seek feedback, they'll respond to feedback, they'll find new focus and new, new ways of approaching the problem. And in contrast, 
those with a more fixed approach or fixed mindset, they tend to break down because they wouldn't want to get caught not knowing. They only want to show what they know. They're afraid of being found out about what they don't know. They tend to be not as resilient in the face of problems they cannot solve. And I'll stop by saying this. It's not about us as people. All, all of us have these traits. It's about any given domain, any given context or moment. So to say that someone has a fixed mindset or growth mindset is not correct. That's a fixed view of people, right? We all have areas at times and moments where we act more in a fixed mindset way or in areas and moments where we act in a more growth mindset way. And the question is, can we foster a more growthy approach? Because if we do, we go further. That is the history for you for the moment. Yeah. Dr. Hirsch, that was amazing. Thank you for going through just the history of this school of thought, really, right? That fills in so much of our understanding of Adult learning theory really coming from the comes from the middle school classroom, but I don't need to lay out exactly all the ways that we can apply that from the classroom to the clinical wards. And it's there's obvious corollaries and that delve into some of those corollaries a little bit. Dr. Schaefer, can we maybe expand a little bit on how mindset theory relates to medical learn? So let's pretend we have two medical students on your ACHD rotation. You have Fred who's got a fixed mindset, and you've got Grace who's got a growth mindset. So how do Fred and Grace experience, internalize, respond on the rotation differently? And then how would you say those differences impact their future potential in the medical space? That's a great question. And I think it's really important to think about in these specific instances, because I think, I don't know about, about you, but when I hear Dr. Hirsch talking about those examples, it's hard not to kind of remember myself as a fourth grader or you know, and think about the feedback and and then try to think about, well, where is it that I've landed? And the whole point, I think, of, of our talk today is to figure out how to, you know, sort of not let that feedback that we got from other people sort of trickle in to our ability to accomplish our goals now. And so when I think about this example, the two people that you're talking about, so Fred and Grace, Fred fixed, Grace growth, <laughs> I like that. So I think about those two people and I think that ACHD is a perfect example. So my assumption is that everybody listening and on the talk today has taken care of an, an adult with congenital heart disease, or at least been faced with that sort of task. And, you know, I don't know about everybody on the call today, but I will just summarize and say that it's been my experience that a lot of people feel a little overwhelmed when taking care of, of that category of patient. So adults with congenital heart disease are a little bit complex, whether it's that their anatomy is complex or that they've had a whole bunch of surgeries or that they have a lot of residual um, psychosocial issues as a result of lifelong medical issues. Regardless of what the issue is, most of the patients that I take care of are really complex. And so because of that, it's especially important to think about this example. So I have students start the ACHG rotation and it's so interesting that you bring this up because I, I often think about this mindset. It is so telling. My observation has been that a lot of times this, the students or the fellows or the residents who approach the ACHD patient who have sort of the, the fixed mindset that Dr. Hirsch had described, sort of the belief that if they don't immediately get it, they're not going to. Those are the students that don't really get the most out of their rotation and they dislike it. They want to be off the rotation as soon as possible. And they don't really take it on as a possibility of something that they could do. Whereas the example of Grace, the student with the growth mindset, doesn't get 
easily flustered by these unsolvable problems. Really, it's not even too much of a stretch to take it exactly to the example that Dr. Hirsch gave of the unsolvable problem, because quite frankly, a lot of these patients do have unsolvable problems. You know, so I think that with regards to the resilience, it's obvious, it's immediate to see that the students with the growth mindset are just willing to kind of take on a new uncertain belief without getting frustrated and think that it reflects somehow poorly on them. And so they have resilience to kind of keep going. But I think as a provider, as an ACHD cardiologist, the thing that maybe like keeps me up at night the most is the fact that when Fred sees another ACHD patient, which most certainly he will, he's not going to be happy about it, even if the ACHD patient is the most straightforward in the world. And that bothers me. You know, I want everyone to approach these patients in a way that results in their best care. And so that's why I think this example, ACHD care and the growth mindset is a really excellent one because the GRACE student is most certainly going to be able to accomplish a higher level of understanding of these complex patients just because she doesn't perceive her ability to immediately understand the complex anatomy as to be a reflection of whether or not she's a good medical student, future doctor, et cetera. So I think for me, it's really just thinking about where these two students can go and my own personal belief that the student like Grace is going to achieve a higher level of understanding and potentially clinical care. What do you think, Dr. Hirsch? You did it such a, a brilliant job there. And I, I, it invites an interesting point that I think also merits mention. If you look at the general population for any, you know, any given domain, our perspective on intelligence or on talent or on, I don't know, sportiness, I mean, it lays out very close to 40% of people generally hold a grossy perspective of those, about 40% generally hold a kind of fixed perspective of those, and about 20% are in between. And this happened, this study after study after study, but it's just seen this. It's, it's very interesting. They've studied this across time, substantial time, across contexts of the U.S. and across multiple nations and multiple ages. So in the kind of Grace and Fred example that I think Carrie just broke down for us so helpfully, what I experience is there's, there's so much hope that we could all get more like Grace in any given context or moment. The problem is it's, it's hard to have Grace or it's hard to, to be like Grace. The only other thing I might add just for intrigue is that it's sort of, this is kind of quirky, but we tend to fall back upon the, if I only did this, if I only did that, I think the only, if only I did rule really is, is about how can we help ourselves persist at problem solving, right? Effective problem solving, which involves effort. It involves focus. It involves an awareness of what we're not doing well. It involves help seeking and feedback seeking behavior, Right. If we do that, it turns out that we can actually go further than we would otherwise, unsurprisingly, when they look at growth and fixed mindset in the general population of anything, like I said, it lays out equally. It also lays out equally as to ability. The people who are growthy at the outset aren't better, smarter, more talented than people who are fixed. That would, of course, be a fixed mindset view of things. It's only that people who can develop a growth approach can go further ultimately, right? Because they're resilient in the face of problems that are hard for them. Thank you so much, Dr. Hirsch and Dr. Schaefer for that. That was just uh, brilliant. I love how you just broke all that down. You know, I have a lot of those issues in myself in my own personal life. Just recently, I was just trying to, you know, I have such a fixed mindset on like my own, you know, just becoming a new attending and like trying to figure out, you know, when to buy a house, you know, when to start investing and all this stuff. And it's just so much fixed mindset. And I finally, one of my mentors recommended a book and I started investing my time into reading this book. And I feel, you know, much more comfortable with all this, but you know, a lot of this, you know, fixed and growth mindset, not only just in medicine, but just so many things in our own personal lives as well that I just continue to have to work on. Thank you so much for that. It's really nice. 
you know, as an educator now on the other side, I'm constantly trying to evaluate and really reflect on my own approach to my learners that I see not only in clinic, but also in the, in the office and also in the, in the inpatient setting as well. And, you know, I really would love to take this opportunity to learn how I might try to nurture a growth mindset for my students. So for Dr. Hurst, this is a two-part question for you. First, is a student's mindset either growth or fixed? Is it always fixed? That is, can a person go from having a fixed mindset to a growth mindset and vice versa? And then secondly, how can I incorporate, you know, a growth mindset into my feedback with the students? Cool. I, I like that. I like that question. I think it gets at the heart of it. I could have just said cool, which would have been a fixed kind of approach, or I could have said I like that question, which would have been a fixed kind of approach. But I liked it because when I actually get to the heart of things, and I'll, I'll try, I'll try to answer this simply. And first, I'll tell the story of my of my son, the snarky son. I have twins as well, Doctor Desai. So the older of the twins came home from his school, a school that we carefully chose. This eight years of the school. We carefully chose my wife and I because it was one that was so avowed to the sciences of learning and most notably the work of Dweck and the growth mindset. My wife was an actual educator, not like the verbose husband. She's a real educator, so she knows Dweck well. We were also trying to live this for us, live this with our children to help foster the growth mindset. So he comes home and he says, you know, all these years in the school, I just have to say, I, I need to apologize. And I, I said, well, well, why is that, Sam? He says, I just don't think I'm a growth mindset person, which is, of course, so bad in so many ways. One, he's making this announcement in a very fixed way, exemplifying exactly the problem we were trying not to have. Um, And two is, it's like, they're so defeatist. It's just like the Dweck study from 78. He's shaking his head. No, I'm I'm definitely not a a growth mindset person. So I didn't, I hadn't said anything yet. And he looks up with that kind of annoying grin that he sometimes gets. And he says, yeah, I'm just not a growth mindset person yet. Okay. If you were laughing, what you would notice there is that the yet implies that there's still a place to go, that if you could just work harder at it, right? A very growthy approach. So he had already sort of figured out kind of some of the quirkiness of the growth and fixed mindset rhetoric. I think there is something serious to be said about this though, which is uh, we should not become like Dweckian fundamentalists. She herself would say no to that. There's no magic bullet on the growth mindset, but if we're trying to help foster it to your second question, actually, let me summarize the first question. Yes, we can change our mindsets. Mindsets are mutable. We can change I could change myself to perceive that I could be good at foreign languages. I could change myself to believe that I could be good at playing piano or something that I currently hold a fixed view of myself. So yes, they're mutable and changeable. To the second point though, if we just could do efforts like this for our learners, we might serve our learners better. And if we could do efforts like this towards our internal, our internal workings, our communication with ourselves, we might do ourselves better. And the efforts are these. We should just continue to figure out what it would be that would help me focus on this problem. What am I not seeing yet? How can I develop different ways of looking at the same problem? Whom should I ask for help or when should I ask for help? How can I do things that build my resilience to not quit, right? What would I do to help myself not only have effort, but be nourished and celebratory internally of my effort because it was getting me towards an answer? Useless effort should not be praised, right? Mediocre effort should not be praised as good effort, but real good effort that is problem and solution focused probably should be, we should hold that as a value for ourselves and others should celebrate it in us. So towards our students, we can change the way we rhetorically give feedback. If we were to say something like, Dr. Das, as you hold your hand over your, over your mouth like that, and the way you're leaning in, it gives me the idea that you're actually listening. Sure, the rest of the audience is sleeping, but at least you, sir, appear to be listening. 
And yes, and as you move your head and tilt your head and smile at me like that, I'm my point is we should learn how to commend what people are doing, which is meritorious toward what we actually seek and be explicit at connecting what they're doing and why it's a value. You might say, well, we all do that when we get feedback. Now, what we tend to do actually is go, great job, Thomas. This, uh, this whole podcast is brilliant, right? Something, something like that, right? Did anybody catch Daniel's opening? So graceful, eloquent, fantastic, no? Right? All true, of course, but, but probably not the way to help Daniel figure out a way to move towards his next, his next perhaps more difficult introduction, right? So I noticed the way that Daniel did X, and it was helpful because of Y. One of the things I might think that if Daniel were to do, mm-hmm, it might help us because of, right? So try to, try to connect the goal you have and commending the process someone takes. It's not, it's not about being warm or not warm, right? It's just about being sort of keen to, to commend process toward an end. Should you hold high standards? Yes. Is growth mindset about praising only process and not the standards? No, 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 no. Hold the highest standards. This is cardiology. Hold the highest standards. Just be explicit about how to get there, right? So I think that would be the first thing I would say in this, just at risk of talking too much. We can get into more later. Dr. Hirsch, that was amazing. I, I was just taking notes as we were going along. But the things you know, I'll reflect on is that as a, as a first-year fellow, I, I feel like I get to be on both sides of this uh, coin. I'm exposed to a lot of new things, right? At the beginning of the year, I was in the cath lab doing a diagnostic angiogram for the first time. That was something entirely new. There's a learning curve for that. I'm for the, right now. I'm on my stress lab rotation. I'm reading nuclear studies for the first time. And that's a, a learning curve for that too. And so there's definitely a moment in each of those new experiences where I say like, "Oh man, this is hard. I don't know if I'm good at this." But that idea of like, "Oh, I'm not good at this yet." That's something that I think is so powerful in terms of internally finding the motivation, and then the word, the verbiage you used about finding the ways to be nourished internally by your efforts as you move from that. I'm not good at that yet. Uh, I'm growing in this. I'm getting better at this. I have that growth mindset. That's, I think, really powerful verbiage. And, you know, the other thing I get to do as a fellow is I get to work with residents and medical students and teach them cardiology, whether in the CICU or some of our different rotations. And what I can say is that, you know, everyone's at a different stage. And I think people have a different thought about, oh, they can encounter complicated patients, complex patients, like Dr. Schaefer mentioned, ACHD rotation. Being able to guide someone who's who may be at that I'm not good at this, but has not made it to that yet stage yet is so incredibly valuable. And that's a incredibly important role that we all take as educators. So that's a that's a framework that I'm going to take with me for sure as I go on, both as a learner and as an educator. You know, we've got a really awesome opportunity here now. We've talked a lot about the educational theory of growth mindset and fixed mindset. Now we get to actually for our audience illustrate some of these efforts. And I'm really excited. Our actors today are actually going to be our 2022 Cardinals Academy Chiefs and this is going to be a really, I think, a really fun way to demonstrate some of these things right here. So I'm going to hand it over to Alan. He's going to introduce our first sketch here. Patrick Saka is a first-year cardiology fellow who is on his very first cath lab rotation. And today he is cathing with Dr. Theodore Donison, the Director of Interventional Cardiology at CNMC, the Cardiac Medical Center. Patrick is about to get right femoral access for diagnostic coronary angiography on a patient with a prior cabbage now presenting with an end STEMI. After diligently marking the lower femoral head on fluoroscopy and numbing the area with ample subculaticine, Patrick grabs the micropuncture needle and ultrasound probe as he thinks to himself. I totally got this. I'm natural at procedures and all the interns come to me with help for their large volume paras. And I'm sure it's going to be the exact same in the cath lab. I can't wait to show Dr. Donison my innate skills. 
she'll think I'm awesome and will definitely want to keep me here for interventional cardiology fellowship. Patrick proceeds by identifying the femoral bifurcation and ultrasound with ease. He uses ultrasound guidance to swiftly puncture the common femoral artery above the bifurcation and is overjoyed to see drops of blood dribbling from the end of that needle. He threads the wire through the needle without resistance and fully satisfied and confident in his perfect stick. He taps on Flora to prove his procedural excellence. He glances over to Dr. Donison, ready to bask in her approval and commendations. But much to his surprise, her expression is one of wide-eyed anger. He turns to the screen and is mortified to find the needle entering much too high, well above the pelvic brim. And in no uncertain terms, Dr. Donison offers her feedback. Patrick, what's wrong with you? Do you want my patients to bleed out? Where did you learn femoral access? Who taught you to use ultrasound? Gosh, some people just aren't cut out to do procedures. I hope you're not planning to do intervention. Patrick recoils from the beratement as Dr. Donison takes over. He remains quiet for the rest of the day, letting Dr. Donison get access for each subsequent case. Sombered, he reevaluates his future, thinking. That was utterly embarrassing, and she'll never take me now after this performance. I guess I'm just not meant to be an interventional cardiologist. That was great, guys. And truly next-level acting. You know, I think Dr. Schaefer, Dr. Hirsch, there's a lot to dissect this interaction, both from Patrick and from, you know, the attending Dr. Donaldson's perspectives. Well, what are your thoughts on after going through that scenario? Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot to think about in that interaction that that we need to kind of unpack. I, I, I As I was listening to it just now, I was thinking about really there's kind of three components that perked up my ears. The first is the fact that very clearly Patrick has a performance-oriented mindset. And certainly that's part of the fixed mindset. His goal here is to make his attending physician like him and to think he's good. There was no mention at all of whether or not Patrick wanted to be good at the procedure for his patient. I, I did not hear anything in the example of how he was thinking to himself had had he thought through all of his tips and, oh, I want to get feedback from Dr. Donison about X, Y, or Z. So I think that that's one whole thing. He's focused on performance. He's focused on how he's going to do. And Dr. Donison reinforces that. She sort of immediately tells him that his performance is bad, reinforcing that whole fixed mindset that he needs to perform to her expectations. And nowhere in there is learning the actual task of doing it correctly. I do want to say there's a one second component, which has nothing to do with this, which is a, a component of professionalism. I think that perhaps an attending physician sort of may not want to provide feedback that questions the person's um, entire future and provides such negative feedback that is, you know, a bit personal and pretty mean, I would say. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't very kind feedback. And so I don't want to say that everyone who has a fixed mindset is unkind <laughs> and is going to give that kind of feedback. So that's not necessarily part of it, although certainly like reinforces that performance mediated feedback. And then the third component I want to just sort of call out is the fact that there was one good thing that she did, which is she is holding her standards high, right? As Dr. Hirsch mentioned, the growth mindset is not about lowering our standards and rewarding subpar behavior. So it's good sort of, that she didn't say, excellent work, Patrick, you know, this is great, and then turns to her colleague after he leaves and says, he made a huge mistake, right? That, that would have been worse. But I think that there's, there's somewhere in here a couple of things that we kind of need 
to think about. We need to think about how we can actually help Patrick see that he should really focus away from Dr. Donison's approval of him and towards his ability to just do the procedure in the very best way. Because it's not, and I know this is hard, as a, as a former trainee, I remember very clearly thinking that my number one goal was the next fellowship or the next job. But we all know that that's not the case. We know that the, the, the goal really is that the patient does well and that our next patient does well and that our next patient does well. And then we write the paper on how to do well with patients. You know, that's the goal. And I think that um, unfortunately in, in our medical training and, and in cardiology for sure, we don't necessarily reinforce that. Are you becoming masterful at your craft rather than are you becoming a person that I can hold up as an excellent performer? Because I would argue that we really, none of us really want physicians that are performers. We want excellent, masterful clinicians. That was really masterful. I love that. And I really loved your focus on performance because I just kind of reflecting on you know, my time as a fellow, I felt like sometimes for the faculty member, I was kind of like putting on a show, like I was printing out the list for them. I was making sure I had like a chair next to me, computer, making sure in a nice quiet space, you know, it was just like so much on the performance and the show and just making sure everything was like so perfect and not so much on, you know, then I would forget like, oh, I didn't review, you know, this person's cultures right before. There's certain things that I would forget to completely do where I was so, so focused on making sure I knew certain attendings loved certain things to be done beforehand, you know, making sure the new patients were highlighted, you know, there's every, every attending had different things that they enjoyed having. And then the other thing that was really reflecting on that I really did appreciate till now is that the fixed mindset with respect to giving feedback, there's what I'm kind of taking away is like kind of different flavors here. One is, you know, how you kind of give the feedback with the tone, you know, someone being really nice with giving the feedback versus someone that's being stern. And then the kind of feedback where you have two different extremes, one with the fixed mindset being, oh, you're, this is great. You're doing fantastic, such a brilliant job. And then to the other side being, you're going to bleed out my patient, both of which being fixed mindsets, I really didn't appreciate until right now. So it was really eye-opening to, to hear you go through that. Okay. So that was the first skit. So now how about we go on and move on to the second skit. Ahmed Goni is a second year resident on his first day in the CICU. A diehard cardio nerd, he has been looking forward to this rotation for months. He is a bit nervous since his first patient has a Swan Gans catheter and there's a bevy of data to parse through. He's glad to have spent a lot of time reading about the basics of right heart catheterization. It'll surely pay off today. The CICU fellow, Dr. Jesse Holtzman, offers to review the Swan numbers before rounds. He correctly identifies elevated left and right heart filling pressures with low cardiac index. Jesse is impressed. Wow, Ahmed, bravo. You clearly have spent a lot of time getting to know your patients and your right heart cath interpretation shows you must have put a lot of effort to read and to learn before this rotation. Let's work together and let's take it a step further. So our patient had a large anterior MI, now has end-stage ischemic cardiomyopathy, has a large dilated left ventricle, an ejection fraction of 15 to 20%. The fact that this is her third admission to the CICU is certainly worrisome, and we should start preparing ourselves for advanced therapies, that is LVAD versus heart transplantation versus palliative option. Now, the LVAD only supports the left heart, and it wouldn't be a great option if her right ventricle is also failing. Have you gone over indices for right heart function? 
Thanks for going over this, Jesse. These are great points. I actually have the RV failure chapter bookmarked for this weekend, but this is the perfect opportunity to read that and learn how I can use the bedside exam, the echo, and the right heart cat to determine how the right heart's functioning. That's helpful to know. You'll think about this patient when reading that chapter later. And remind me after rounds to share some of my favorite resources for shock and hemodynamics, like the Cardio Nerds Right Heart Cath infographic. Next week, sometime after rounds, we can regroup again and we can take the whole team on chemo rounds where we all practice interpreting SWAN numbers. Again, I've made great work. I'm so proud of all the effort that you're putting in for your patients and learning cardiology. It really shows. Dr. Schaefer and Dr. Hirsch, the interaction between Ahmed and Jesse is a bit different from what we saw with Patrick and Tio. And so what are your thoughts and how does this differ from the earlier skit? It's interesting, huh? It's a very uplifting interaction, I would say. And I think that hearing those two work together, you have the feeling that they're really trying hard to learn as much as they can. What I think is still interesting, though, is that a lot of the feedback was still performance-based, in my, in my opinion. And we'll see what the others on the team think. Because it, it doesn't quite get into the details that help the student understand which components are helpful in thinking and which components need to be improved upon. So I think, I guess my thought in that is, is to think about this in a different scenario. I guess, so we keep going to the sports analogies, I guess, um, when we talk about growth mindset. And I think this gets to something that Dr. Hirsch, I'm sure, is going to talk more about, which is the fact that you know, and you kind of did already the fact that we have growth mindset in some things and not in others. But I think about, so my my husband is a coach and when he gives feedback to his players, it doesn't sound like that interaction <laughs> that just happened. He tries to be professional and respectful, of course, of his students, but it tends to be extremely explicit in terms of details. I think you're, he's, he's a golf coach. I think that the swing was good in the approach but as you made contact with the ball, you rotated your wrist slightly, and that resulted in an inadvertent trajectory of the ball, which results in you know, s- some sort of detail that sort of specifically gives the student a very clear understanding. I think that if, if he were to say, that's a great effort, and I want you to keep working on it, I think the player would feel frustrated because the player wouldn't know what to do better. So I think that there's a lot of extremely professional behavior that happened in the skit. And I think there's definitely some components, particularly of the student voicing his desire to learn things that he doesn't understand. But I do think that it's kind of getting back to this, are we reinforcing a performance mindset by giving overly positive feedback to people when they haven't yet gotten to the point of, you know, earning it or Maybe not quite. I don't know. But this is also kind of sprinkled with my own personality. So what do you think, Dr. Hirsch? What are your thoughts on that, on that skit? So I, I have to confess up a, a substantial problem I'm having right now because I'm completely enchanted by one of my favorite students of all time being on this call and having just acted that out. Dear Dr. Holzman now. So so be, 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 I'm gonna just it's only the two of us speaking. Jesse, it's so nice to see you. My goodness. I have to say that. Dr. Shaver, you have done something important for us, right? This idea of the abject specificity issue. And also reminding us that, that praise is not the point of this. So there is this misunderstanding that if you, if you change from praising outcomes to praising effort or praising outcomes to praising process, somehow now you're fostering the growth mindset. It's not right. That's just not right. So praise is not the thing. This expl- attention to being explicit about effort that yields the outcomes you seek 
explicit about the things people can do to solve problems when things get tough, explicit about commending focus when you see it and why. Like all of those kind of elements, these things you might imagine as push you forward comments, right? That's, that's one thing I think that Dr. Schaefer's comments helped me remember. And the other is that we have to be very, very keen about separating who we are from what we do, right? The reason why Jesse Holzman was such an extraordinary student, in my view, I'm not going to embarrass her for a moment, right? This is one of those people who listened very, very carefully and put what you said to work. She listened very, very carefully as if she cared to remember for some time later, right? She listened very, very carefully and was willing to challenge, respectfully push back and challenge if she felt she differed, right? But do you understand what I'm saying? That there were actual attributes that I could easily name. And it's, this is not about something else that I happen to hold, which is an extraordinary individual. But when thinking about ability, we shouldn't be holding that as a fixed entity when giving feedback. Rather, what is the person doing? And how does that foster you know, forward learning, forward skill building, forward ability to push through something when they haven't yet learned it? So the essence of the growth mindset really has to do not with false praise or praise at all, really. Uh, it's not with just commending process and commending effort. No, no. It's about trying to push people through hard stuff and having them develop the, the way in the world that when, when you're not around, and certainly when you are also, to have them push through hard things. So Jesse, yes, forgive me for using you um, and our best time together as an example, but I hope that that's helpful to the audience to learn about um, what, what can further us in this domain. I'm only going to say two things in summary. Think, think hard about whether we're pushing specifically and directly towards higher and higher levels of ability, right? not focusing only on achievement and think about how we can really pull apart who we are from what we do. Do not blend the who you are and what you do by accident or intentionally in our feedback. I think that would be the most helpful. Dr. Hirsch, I have to say that you were one of my favorite mentors as well. So I have to just say that the, the thing that Dr. Hirsch said that always sticks with me is he always said, embrace the clunk. It was like our first day of words and it was all about the growth mindset from the beginning that we were all going to be awkward. We were all learning together. But that, that's how you get there. So it's a pleasure to see you too. Thanks for sharing that, Jensi. I remember uh, you told me that story once you find out that Dr. Schaefer had invited Dr. Hirsch to be a part of this. And Dr. Schaefer, Dr. Hirsch, it's, it's just so helpful for us all to hear you dissect out these kids and debrief because I'm just reflecting on my own self, you know, and, and I think in my desire to encourage my learners and, and boost their morale and push them forward, I use a lot of praise and, and maybe I'm a little bit you know, I could definitely be more growth mindset focused in the feedback we give. Uh, and I see a lot of that within the academy as well. So this is a great way to set the tone for the year ahead. I'd like to bring Sanjay into this conversation, you know, as a, a celebrated leader in, in GME education. Sanjay, you were sharing some comments about how the multiple steps involved in medical education might actually de-emphasize the growth mindset, you know, how we can work towards building cultures and, and retraining ourselves and our groups for you know, emphasizing growth mindset more. And I know this is some of the work that Dr. Schaefer is also doing over at Harvard. Yeah. Let me just thank everybody, particularly those kids that did the skits. That was wonderful. And I learned so much from Dr. Hirsch and Dr. Schaefer. Just a very short comment. And then I'm actually, I'm curious also what, what Dr. Schaefer and Dr. Hirsch think about this. But you know, one of the issues with the growth mindset that I, I have encountered is just that our systems and our cultures, they're not, they're very often not aligned with allowing people to adopt the growth mindset. And I, Dr. Schaefer mentioned at one point this idea of being worried about fellowship. And as much as we want to believe that it's always about the patient, the reality 
is that there is this incredibly pervasive perception, and I think reality, actually, that when you get to one step, you are immediately thinking medical students are thinking about residency. Residents are thinking about fellowship, and it unfortunately continues from there. And I think we don't have competencies or assessments that I think are effective enough. Dr. Hirsch and Dr. Schaefer are great examples of faculty that can do this, but most faculty actually don't have the faculty development to do this effectively. And, and our residents and our students work with many more faculty than those that, that do. She also mentioned coaching, and I think that's another area that we're just, I think, very nascent in our ability to get coaches that actually understand how to coach someone in a safe way and, and to address and target needs and gaps. And this perception of risk, I think we need to mitigate with real trust. And so th this is the kind of lecture that can help us because we can all, hopefully we do this in our local spheres of influence. And if we do that enough, that we do it strongly enough and effectively that we make bigger ripples that go further. But I think the systems changes are the ones that we have to focus on and we have to get to so that everybody can really adopt it, even if they want to, that they're able to. And I'm curious though, for Dr. Schaefer and Dr. Hirsch, you guys have spent a lot of time on this. If there's advice that you would give us in terms of how to go beyond your local sphere of influence and, and enable some of these systems changes. I will. I want Dr. Hirsch to get, get the opportunity to talk. I will just say in my attempts so far, so I completely agree with you, Dr. Desai, 100% agree that the problem is so many people that we interact with don't have a growth mindset about many things, and nor do they want it. And I think that my, my first thought is just, you know, the way that Dr. Hirsch started this, dispelling the disbelief, because I think a lot of people believe that the growth mindset is about accepting mediocrity. And in my own somewhat successful, somewhat unsuccessful attempts to change the mindset of my co-faculty, that's been my biggest impediment. You and I even know many of the same colleagues. No one is going to accept anything but our very best. And so there is this crossover between doing a really, really, really good job and it being performance like it does happen. So I think the first thing personally is to make it absolutely crystal clear that when we're talking about growth mindset, we're actually talking about. And, and Dr. Hirsch and I kind of talked a little bit about this before the call about whether or not we should even say growth mindset, whether we should talk more about the fact that it's really about the mastery versus performance, you know, because I think we can all agree that we want master clinicians, you know, and I think it's harder to say we want growth mindset clinicians. We don't really know what that means. So my, my personal opinion with regard to accomplishing this goal, which I think you're essentially saying is how do we get more of our colleagues to act? in a way that fosters growth mindset in our trainees so that we can get to the point where we have, you know, people on complex rotations or, or taking care of complex patients. And we just have this desire to learn more rather than act like we know everything. I think the first step is just to kind of help people understand that we're really just talking about learning and not worrying about whether or not it's tied to our own self-worth. But Dr. Hirsch, I am just beginning to try to change people's minds. Tell me how you have tried to do that here in Boston and around the world to help people have that mindset. <laughs> so maybe, maybe the reason why I'm so into the growth mindset is because I get hammered all the time on my attempts, my attempts to have pathway development or any kind of system change. One better embrace the clunk, I would say. You know, I, as a clunky person who I think is constantly having to <laughs> figure out another way to, to um, foster um, the sciences of education into our 
you know, activities of learning and undergraduate and graduate medical education. I, I certainly do not presume that I have any answers. I do think, though, that Dr. Schaefer's point about the rhetorical flourish does matter. So I, I, there's a great paper by uh, Lorelei Lingard, who's one of, she's a rhetorician and one of the great writers in medical education from Western Ontario. And at the beginning of it, I, I, I think the title of it may be Competency as a God Term, right? And she gets into defining what is a God term. And the, the essence of this is that sometimes we use these terms so many times, like God herself, we, uh, we have many different individual understandings of what, of what it means. Like words sort of almost lose their meaning because everyone's defining them. And I think the growth mindset has become perhaps a God term, and maybe even a third rail at times. So my, my preference, if we're going to have to use terms at all, my preference is taking the mastery approach, I think is a better, perhaps a better framing. The notion, though, is really the key. Terms notwithstanding, I think the notion is the key, which is what can we do to push for sort of inexorable efforts looking for better and better and better? And how can we feel good even as we're constantly making ourselves aware that we're not yet there. There's no there, right? People who take the mastery approach, of course, are those who are so nourished by process and by the, by the challenge that the, the joy comes from the journey, ultimately, right? And not from, I finally made it. I think it's a terrible day in medicine when you drive home or bike home thinking, ha, I got this. No, no, no. That's the day you are not, no longer recognize that you don't got this, right? So I, I say this to probably, you know, obviously, the leading um, cardiologists in the country and world to come not to be pandering, but to say, why might that be that you could become so extraordinarily able? Answer might be that you will always keep working to be more and more able. And it's not about being unsatisfied where you are. It's about being satisfied and going to the next place, right? So I think that's the hard balance, right? Is we have to have good feeling and celebration as we go and have this rigorous inexorable desire to keep improving and learning and seeing anew. I think one last thing I might say is I liked the expression when I first learned it, that the true masters are those who are never complete. They're the ones who always want to see anew, anew, right? They keep looking at that thing that they're, they're maybe are so, so, so able at, and they keep trying to see it in a different way, in a different way, in a different way forever, right? Never complete, always trying to see anew, anew, and in this case, trying to cannulate better and better and better forever. So anyway, that's my little thing. I didn't answer Dr. Dr. Desai's worthy question, and you're a worthy repeat, Dr. Schaefer. But I guess I would say maybe in summary that to change the system, we should probably never stop imagining that the system can be better and we'll just keep pitching in. I think you both answered it. And I, I feel confident and optimistic, actually, that with two of you and, and others like you, that, that this push is going to get us where we want to be. So thank you. Yeah, Dr. Hirsch, Dr. Schaefer, Sanjay, just that exchange was uh, so meaningful. And I think what I, I take away from it is just how important it is to create communities and create spaces wherein people are allowed to be pushed into the growth mindset and learners are allowed to say the growth mindset is a positive thing that is a, recognize that that is a place that you're going to grow, that you're going to continue to get better. And while still working towards the goals, like Sanjay's saying, in terms of whether it might be the next thing on the you're trying to get to, recognizing that it's a process and that going through that process has internal value and you're going to become a better clinician to your patients by going through that process. And so much of that has to do with being in a community uh, that supports that. And I feel incredibly fortunate for, I get to look in this call here and see people who help create that community for me as a learner. And I get to pay that forward and create that community for others as a learner. And I just am so proud to be in that space. And thank you all for that discussion, that exchange, first of all. Secondly, I want to touch back to something that we're talking about a little bit is how well are we doing in cardiology in terms of making that community, right? How are we doing in terms of making that space? 
where the growth mindset is value. You know, there's a lot of different aspects within cardiology. And Dr. Schaefer, I'd like to hear your thoughts on cardiology as a whole and how we respond to the growth mindset. And you know, something that I have personal interest in is you know, interventional cardiology is something that I'm interested in, see myself as a budding interventionalist. And I can see how there's a lot of value for the growth mindset in that space in terms of being able to debrief about a complication or keep up with all the changes within different devices, the structural world, but also I see the pitfalls of the fixed mindset in terms of how we receive and give feedback. So we're really interested, Dr. Schaefer, to get your thoughts on that. How are we doing within cardiology? How do these ideas apply within a highly procedural space as well? Those are hard questions. Certainly two thoughts come to mind. I think the first is that Interventional cardiology is the perfect place for the growth mindset to take hold. And I feel encouraged and inspired by the fact that you and others are going into interventional cardiology and can have these tools to actually use it. I think that the fixed mindset is extremely evident and the growth mind is extremely evident when you're in the cath lab. You immediately know, if if I were to ask you, name the cardiology attending, interventional cardiology attending that has the most growth mindset that you take care of, I'm guessing it probably would be an interventional cardiologist just because you can tell right away. I myself can think about some of my attendings when I was in general cardiology fellowship, and there's one person that comes to mind. I'll just say his name, Tayo Addo. He's an interventional cardiologist at UT Southwestern, and he definitely has a growth mindset. He thinks about stuff and he lets you kind of walk through it and helps you understand and gives you feedback that's meaningful. He does, he's not unnecessarily praiseworthy, but gives you kind of like specific information. And so I think that interventional cardiology is a perfect place to start. The, the thing that I also think about is just in my work, one of my jobs in the ACC is that I'm on the ESOC committee, Educational Standards and Outcomes Committee. Um, what I've gotten to do as part of that committee is I get to see each of the CME efforts put on by the ACC. And what I've noticed is that certain areas of cardiology are more ideal for taking on new ideas. And so I guess my idea for all of us, really, if we're going to take this on together, which I'm hoping that we are as a cardio nerds family, is to think about how we can sort of help carry this on. If we were going to take it on, I would think about which areas of cardiology can we just start on first? We, we can't do all of cardiology. But we can say, you know what? Interventional cardiologists need to learn the growth mindset first. And the reason they need to learn this first is because if they don't have it, they're going to miss the fact that the left main dissected at the beginning of the case because no one's going to say anything, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I think, and, and the other, and, and I think about other areas. For some reason, I feel like the sports cardiology group is also really willing to take on new ideas and take on new concepts. And so let's try those two areas and see if we can push it forward because we're not going to make headway across the board, but I think we can take areas of cardiology to make things better in, in, in groups of people that are willing to take this on. That would be my proposal. This is, this is by no means a prediction of the future or anything. This is just uh, me talking to my friends about a way to make you know, our practice of cardiology better. What do you think, Dr. Das? No, it's fantastic. And I, I just want to thank you for, you know, on the national level, really pushing to make this cardiovascular community a better place. And what you are doing, it really is all in service of the patients, right? It's this is making providers, making physicians, better physicians for their patients. And that makes this a more exciting place to train, makes it a more exciting place to practice. And it makes groups like this a, a really exciting group to be a part of in so many ways. I, I think your comments in particular about how Having that kind of mindset, it's going to make you open to successes. It's going to make you open to complications. It's going to make you open to all the things you need to be aware of in the cat lab. 
that can go go wrong. So I, I think that's a fantastic approach to that. Taking another step back, you know, we we're here with a group of of educators, broadly internists, cardiologists, residents, faculty, everyone. But I think what we can all use is ways that we can bring this growth mindset into our day-to-day practice. And, you know, as we've been talking to her today, I've been taking notes on just on the verbiage that Dr. Schaefer, Dr. Hirsch have been using. And I, I want to give it to Dr. Hirsch to, if you could just offer a couple more scripted responses in terms of how we can promote the growth mindset in our learners, because I find sometimes having some of the words in your back pocket when you're in these situations can be so helpful in terms of uh, working with learners, giving them feedback that's actually meaningful and impactful. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, right. Because at some point, too much theory is just that. I, I will say one thing, though. People often refer to this as theory or, or you know, growth mindset theory or things like this. It's, it's much more helpful, in my view, to consider this empirically derived science. I mean, there's an absolutely enormous canon. And if anyone wants to go through the, the more sort of academic of her books that summarizes the canon of social psychology, it's the book called Self Theories. So Self Theories by Carol Estweck. Her book called Mindset is much more for the public, and the, the book Mindset is much more like the lay, the lay press one for the laity, whereas self-theories is much more the academic one and beautifully referenced. And it even has, like, if you guys want to do academic research in this domain, she generously gives her tools that have validation evidence at the end of the book. So just, yeah, just to offer that. But I, not to summarize her, her 35 or 40 years in one little nutshell, but I think th- these are a couple of things that might be helpful to the question you asked. If someone, like imagine a student or a learner fellow, whatever, someone was doing well, you might say something like this. I observed that you did X. I observed that you did X. It's very much observational, not your opinion. That was helpful because then you explain it, right? Or the importance of doing it that way was this. And you can even follow it. One thing I've learned that might be helpful for you to consider the next time is if you want to try this. So that it's even not only are you sort of commending what was done and why it was good, but, but maybe a, another, another way of seeing it. So for, for someone who's struggling, you might consider something more like this. I observed Y. I observed X, whatever. When one does X, the concern is such and such. Or you could say, I observed X, which gave me some pause. And I'm wondering, what, what was your sense of that? And the, the learner may or may not recognize the mistake, or right? And if they do recognize it, you get to t- what is, so what is your concern about that? What's, what's, the, what's the possible negative consequence of that? Should we generally be more Socratic and pull it out of them? In either of these examples, what's happening, very specifically, the thing that you find most important that they know is the thing you name, that you identify, that you identify, right? And then either through some Socratic means where you pull it out of them or from your own commentary, you either push it further if it was positive, offer something new and different that they haven't yet considered if it was positive, or help them think of the, the remedy if it's negative. If you want to commend effort, you might commend effort very specifically. It's not like, oh, you work so hard. Don't do that. It's very general. It might be sort of who they are and what they're doing. Don't want to have who they are and what they're doing combined. You might say, I, I recognize the hard work you put in, probably in studying mm-hmm, so-and-so's book or so-and-so's paper or practicing on the mannequin, whatever. Because when I saw you do such and such, it occurred to me that you had what, you know, whatever. So just try to make sure that you're, we're being as explicit as possible about process-based feedback and why it matters and where we can take it. That, that would be my... My sort of quick summary. I would avoid as best as possible. That was great. Oh, that was terrific. I'm so proud about that. Really, things that are just diffusely commending, or if you want to make some kind of diffuse commendation, just follow it closely thereafter with the why. I don't want you guys to be sort of you know robotic and not personal. Of course, that would be that wouldn't help. But you understand the point I'm trying to make is you can't leave it at that or have that be the feedback. 
And, you know, trying to take it a little bit more on a personal level for us, you know, for both Dr. Schaefer and for Dr. Hirsch, what do you want all of us in cardiac to take away about the growth mindset? I'm, something occurs to me, and this is not a, this is of course not a proper quote of the great philosopher, British philosopher, um, David Hume, but the, it's attributed as a quote. This is not what he actually said. But the notion is you can't get to ought from is. It's often referred to, you can't get to ought, what ought to be from is, from where you are. We really have to see differently. There's a great book by Peter Senge, Otto Schammer from MIT from, I think, 2009 called presence in the book. The essence of the book is helping us to learn how we can see what we can't yet see, how to see anew. And I think ways that we can hop outside of ourselves, you know, be very feedback seeking, that's how we can get where it ought to be. We're not going to get where it ought to be by, by persisting in where we are or by having our own view as the only view. It turns out people are not very good at understanding our own strengths and limitations. So we need to have external feedback. So I guess the two things are we can work on our own receipt of and feedback-seeking behavior, see the feedback and feedback-seeking behavior. And then when we're, when we're with others, we can try to give feedback in ways which is the most propelling forward with, again, highest standards. You can be as nice or as not nice as you choose. Be nice. But, but um, just think about this propelling forward idea, when, whether either by ourselves or with others. I love that. I love the idea of, of helping each other forward. And I think in all honesty, one of the main reasons I got so excited about the growth mindset in the last nine months is because of the resilience it also confers. I don't know about you all, but to be completely honest, I've definitely had really, really low resilience in the last 12 months. I think it's very difficult to be a cardiologist and a healthcare provider right now. And I have found personally that having a bit more of a growth mindset, even just as I approach my own life and medical care, but then also to help with my students, because the fact is we can't burn out. We, we have to go out there and take care of patients. Somebody does, you know? And so I think that, I guess my takeaway, Dr. Das, is I think first, doing this is the right thing for a lot of reasons. And adding to the, our resilience is just one more because we really need to all be focused on the important goals, not the performance goals. When I work every day to try to be the best ACHD clinician or medical educator that I can be, I feel a lot less anxious and burned out than I try to be exactly what my boss or my chief thinks that I should be. So I think that's one huge takeaway. And I think the other takeaway is just what Dr. Hirsch always teaches me, which is just put in the word yet. If you're not sure if you have a growth mindset or not, just when you can't do something, just tell yourself, I can't do it yet. And even that one word can kind of help you or your students just get a little bit more focused on the goals of, of progress in learning. So those would be my parting words, I think, with regards to how to think about this going forward. Dr. Hirsch, Dr. Schaefer, thank you so much for those uh, comments. And to, to try to take one of the lessons that you, you've given me today, I think it's, uh, I want to thank you not just for all your time and doing everything here and just be effusively thankful, but to thank the effort that towards the outcome, right? So take the the effort in terms of teaching us about the growth mindsets that we can then take those lessons and then apply them to our own learners in the clinic and the wards, wherever it may be, where we try to mold the next minds in cardiology. Take that lesson internally when we think about ourselves with the growth mindset and think about, you know, I'm not good at that yet, but I have the potential to be so. Think of, take that lesson in the Cardiac Academy, where everyone who's in, uh, I get to see here is a, already a leader in this space and is going to have so many opportunities to continue to grow. And I, I want to, like I said, just thank you guys for helping 
create a space uh, that all these things are possible. And the work that you guys have done is getting us closer to those concrete outcomes as educators, as learners, as clinicians. So Dr. Schaefer, Dr. Hirsch, thank you so much. And thank you so much, Sanjay, for being here as well. You're an inspiration daily for all of us here. And we wouldn't be here in the Carriers without you. And we could go on and on about everything you've done and and the way the environment that you created as program director and continue to create in your work now is it's impactful and amazing. So I just couldn't be more proud to be a part of this group, couldn't be more humbled and so thankful for all the reasons I've discussed. Can I just say thank you to you all and congratulations to everybody. Uh, the work you do is very important and matters a lot. And I just hope that you'll always remember the, the gaze of the patient up off the table. It's, it's very, very special what you do. So it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. You all are amazing. This is great. I also just want to thank everyone. This was Absolutely amazing. And I particularly want to thank Dr. Schaefer and Dr. Hirsch for teaching us so much today. Oh, and by the way, Dr. Hirsch, thanks for your feedback for the intro. I really appreciated it. No, 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 no. I, I'm not taking that. Tell me why. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's making me sweat.